Hello, hello. Um, it's another Notch the Wikipedia Weekly. Um, we're here today. We've got Raoul654. Hello, everyone. And we've got Durova. Hello. And I'm Private Musings. And we're, we're kind of the regulars, aren't we, us three? <laughs> we've been here a few times. Um, but in the spirit of together. inviting many more people in, we've also got Phil here. How do you do? And Phil, you were saying that you've got some experience in, in, in fact, you've been helping us out just before we started recording. You've been doing Skype casts for a while? Yes, for more than two years. So I have a little bit of expertise on uh, Skype and the ins and outs and different versions of the software and how to debug it. So I, if I'm online, I can usually help people a little bit because I've, I've, if you have a problem, I've probably had it myself at some point in the last two years. <laughs> Well, you may be creating somewhat of a job for yourself there, but that's that's much appreciated. And uh, oh, I'm Private Musings, by the way. Um, and although I'm sort of pretending to be your host, I'm not actually. This is uh, Phil's uh, kindly hosting this conference call, which is a slightly different model for the conversation. But um, there we go. And in fact, Phil, you 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 um, recommended to the Wikipedia Weekly chaps uh, about the possibility of a Skype cast a while ago, did you? Yeah, that was back in August. I thought, oh. This would be great because at that point I'd, I'd been doing Skypecasts quite regularly and had friends all over the world. Very well, I'm very well known in the Skypecast world, and I thought, gee, this would be fantastic if if we could use this to augment our, our editing on Wikipedia. And I suggested it to a few people, including the Wikipedia Weekly people. And it didn't really go very far, even though I did try it a few different times. And here we are. But I'm glad to see us trying it now. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I've become slightly addicted to Henrik's tool, um, which tells you how many page views any particular page has had. And uh, we're over, we're, the, the, not the Wikipedia Weekly is now over 2,000. So there you go. There's, there must be at least, at least a few people out there having a listen from time to time. Cool, so uh, that's enough of the preamble. We'll dive right in. The first thing that, um, that I wanted to talk about was the, the ARBCOM lists, and I've written here, Civ Security or a one-off breach. Um, you mean the those, ma- they want to clarify, you mean the mailing list specifically? I mean specifically the mailing list, and uh, I'll give the background as I see it. Now, my, you know, uh, Raoul, uh, Raoul, you're actually a member of that list, but you're not, uh, it's, it's inappropriate for you to mention any of the contents, obviously. Right. I'm an, I'm an administrator on the uh, ARBCOM L mailing list, and, um, I, and, and the rules of the list are that what gets set on there is considered private, so I can't really divulge anything that anybody other than myself has set on there. Could you, in fact, I mean, you're, you're aware of what's gone on this week, right? I mean, I'll give my view if you like in a moment, but what's, what, what happened? Um, as I understand it, um, somebody posted on, Majorly is, is one of our uh, administrators, or I think he was until this week, and um, somebody posted on his talk page and uh, honestly some comments that were made about him on the ARBCOM mailing list. So obviously somebody leaked or had access to them and decided to you know, violate the privacy of the list. And uh, obviously the, the sort of two aspects of that, and we don't know yet whether it's somebody on the list that's published it or, or some compromise of the list security. Uh, to, to your knowledge, has there been any sort of, has anyone taken a look at that yet? Well, yes. Um, we Brian Vibber, we changed the the the. I should I should back up a step here. All of the previous revisions of the emails are accessible via the archives. You know, I, I felt when I set up the list originally that it was important to um, have some kind of uh, continuity, some kind of searchable history, uh, because if we were going to be having arbitrators coming in and out, I, I felt you know it would be useful to have that. So it's conceivable. That they got at the at the old emails by you know breaching the the list password um, and Brian changed that and so we, we have a new list password and so that that would have prevented that the other one which I consider you know substantially more likely is that somebody one of the subscribers you know who has access to these started sending them out and yeah. so there are all all of the current arbitrators and you know the former arbitrators including myself have access to it and it's it's uh, it was upwards of about 35 40 ish people and then because of this we pruned all the uh all the inactive members and we're back down to about 30 it's a we'll we'll move on just we'll just stick with the the particular incident for now but it's always been a bit um 
it's a bit of a perennial issue that I mean I've raised it in some contexts. I know others have too. Uh, about the makeup of the list. I, so I, I guess over half the people on the list are not current arbiters or arbitrators. Is that right? Roughly half. Roughly half. And um, it, would there be any... Brian hasn't considered looking at like the, the logs of the... You know, you, you haven't gone that forensic with it yet, the logs of the, of the archives to see who's accessed them and when. Is that even possible? You'd have to ask him. I don't know how the, how the logging is set up on the uh, server side. From my perspective, and, and Phil and Derova do pipe up if you, um, you know, if you if you've got any any views on this one as well. But um, I think uh, I, I'm quite keen to see a list that would be just arbitrators, active arbitrators only, um, and and then a parallel list which would include the what you might term the advisory group. Um, it's an arbitrary split. I don't really see that as being particularly useful. And indeed, I mean, it hasn't. I think time, Flow Knight was the last. A lot of the- a lot of the times we're rehashing, you know, like like every king, you know, four cases, Lear, three cases, you know, a, a lot of the ones we're seeing, it's the third or fourth time, and it's helpful to, fall, you know, to have people around who were around the first two or three goes, you know, who can or may not be act, you know, who may not long, no longer be arbitrators to, to be able to give their input. So I really, I really see that as a, an artificial split that's not really not necessary. Well, if I may, of course. Um. Okay, I'm I'm a sort of two minds of this. Uh, one is I agree very much with Mark about the institutional memory issue. Um, every year, one third of the committee turns over, and it certainly uh, must be useful to them to have access to the people who um, were directly involved in prior cases. Uh, it, to some extent, I'm sure, it saves the very heavy load that they already have of of going over and getting up to speed on, on uh, the particular cases. And people can summarize, well, this happened and this happened, and you can review and target your reading, and which makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, um, I was actually a couple of months ago on the short end of it might not have been intentional or it might not have been thought to have been a big deal, but uh, an individual I would prefer not to name who was very roundly community banned was um, seeking a um, uh, an arbitration case had a, a very well known grievance against me in particular. Uh, I was invited to um, make a statement regarding that. I um, I let the committee know uh, my concerns, and then he found out about some concerns of mine that I had told to nobody other than the committee. And I was not informed that he would be told of these things. And I was actually concerned because this is a person who's been following me around the Internet for a year or more at this point. And uh, I, I just didn't want to add fuel to that fire. I thought it would be handled with more discretion. So, and that, that's another, I mean, that goes to the root of the issue again then, that the list... Um, the list the list has to be secure to maintain community trust, and it's it's not really, is it? Well, I think usually it is, but it, it's it's quite concerning and disappointing the uh, rare occasions where a problem occurs. And uh, there'll the, the no doubt be ongoing things. Phil, have you did you follow any of that as someone that hasn't been involved in it? You know, what's your take just from the outside? Uh, boy, it, it definitely. I don't really know too much of the details, but it sounds to me like maybe um, one wants to try and re-engineer the system and and uh, make it so it's a little more uh, a little a little easier to be able to do audits and and find out who got access to what information and posted it or something. You can always defeat it. There are always vulnerabilities to systems. It's, what what you're what you're asking for some way of. You know, if if emails get posted, of figuring out who was the one who posted it, it's impossible. I mean, if they're just posting what got sent, you know, as long as everyone gets the same copy of the same thing, you don't know. Right. So, are they using a Tor node or something to post anonymously on Wikipedia? What are they doing? I mean, how? Um. Well, obviously, somebody got access to the list. We don't know, you know, how. And then just logged into Major League's talk page, and posted, you know, what got sent on the list. Yeah, I, I think it's been an anonymous IP, or I, I think I the trail know. was a bit cold. It was very hard to to establish at that point, and one presumes that a 
there are all manner of ways of, of being able to post something to someone's talk page without, you know, without it being traceable back to the original. It's, yeah, um, it's just if it's a one-time thing, it's probably very easy. Yeah. The other aspect, which we'll, um, which which is related to the list, is the the, the possibility. And and uh, again, without breaking confidences, we could talk to to Raoul. We could talk to you a bit about this. Is the thought that um that uh, X uh, there's obviously the role there's the role where people need to be consulted and people that know what's gone on. We need to not lose that that knowledge and um, institutional memory, as Derova mentions. That's you know a really powerful thing. Um, but there's the perception in some quarters that um, the X ARBs are participating fully in all uh, in arbitration processes bar the voting. Um, and that's another aspect which is different to the security of the list. But it, it sort of adds up as to the sort of, um, you know, should that be the case? Uh, Mark, have you got any views on whether that is the case or, you know? I do occasionally give them input on things that I'm, you know, competent to speak to, what things that I'm you know, that I'm well-versed and Lear being, you know, Lear's recent reemergence probably being a very good example. Um, but, you know, there's <laughs> the, the ARBCOM email list, you know, the, the, gets so many emails on an average day that, you know, I, I skim the subject lines and, and you know, just a, a few here and there, but otherwise, you know, it's too much for me to, to it's too much of a commitment, to, you know, of time for me to actually read everything. Yeah. Do you think that's another I issue? Is speak, it? No, I can't speak to the other arbitrators. I'm sure there are some who, you know, read every email and reply, you know, vigorously. But it's. I think we won't go. We won't dwell too much on the ARB stuff. But is that an indication, Raoul, that it's just not scaling? Mm. Well, the ARBCOM does a lot of stuff that never really people don't really notice. You know, we get appeals from band users all the time. You know, people look at the caseload and say, "Oh, you only have two cases. You know, why aren't you going faster on these?" Like, you know, we get appeals from band users for people who want us to review their uh, their old cases without actually opening a new case. We have uh, you know a, b- a bunch of stuff. You know, office or kind of you know things from more serious issues, threats of violence, threats of suicide. And uh, alike, and this kind of stuff really doesn't get noticed if you just look at the number of cases that we're dealing with. You know, we, but there's a lot of stuff that you know, a lot of communication that goes on related to those issues. And and I mean, we've we've covered the list now. I mean, I, there are a whole raft of. There's been much discussion. There's been some over at Wickback, and it's sort of a that's Wickback.com. There's there's heaps all over really about the nature of the process and whether or not it works. Um, and I guess that's a, a story for another day. Um, Mark, you've obviously been involved in in, our, in many our pro, uh, proceedings. I've been involved personally in one and, and peripherally in a few others. Phil, have you ever been before ARBCOM for any reason? I personally haven't been uh, before ARBCOM, but I've defended three other people in front of ARBCOM. And if I got better on the by the time the third one uh, came around, I did a lot better than the first one. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a little hair raising, all right. I think and- I know better of what to do now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're, if if there's appetite to talk more about ARBCOM, then uh, you know it's a wiki page over at not the Wikipedia Weekly, and, and folk can edit that and suggest the topic, and and we can certainly look at it. And uh, yeah, just to reiterate, all the, the intention of these conversations is for them to be really open. Um, oh, I had a I, I sent I had a very brief chat with um uh, instant message chat with New York Brad, who is uh, is interested in coming to chat to us, and that'd be great. So he'll be hopefully on before too long. He just had a nice dinner planned for tonight. So I hope you're enjoying your dinner, Brad. Uh, and we'll move on to two, two long-awaited announcements or two long-awaited uh, improvements to Wiki, uh, I guess, Wiki media in general, which are the single user login and uh, stable revisions. And um, I'll, I'll kick over to you, Raoul, just for a sec, because these two things have been in the pipeline probably almost as long as you've been a Wikipedian. Uh, the real push for them started in around 04, 05, I think. Um, I was told in August 2006 at Wikimania that they were sig- that single user login was the first priority and it would be available in about six months. So <laughs> only about a year, year and a half late <laughs> at this and point. You, if, could if you, have you, Raoul, have you had a chance to look at what it is? Could you explain it? Okay, well, single-user single login is the idea that um, we have we have many, many wikis now. You know, how, how many 
how many in, uh, Wikipedias, if like uh, 200 in all different languages, and the sister projects and all of their languages, and having to have, uh, you know, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 accounts to 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 log into these things can can be very difficult. You know, the, the management is not easy, and so the idea is we would have, you know, you would have one login and it would work on all of the projects. Um, and then, of course, the issue comes in of what happens if two different users have the same username on two different wikis. And the suggestion I saw was that whoever has the most edits on some given wiki gets that username across all of them. And if I'm reading the notice boards and everything right, um, it's actually been enabled for administrators on the English wiki? Single user login? Yeah. There's a, there's, if you look at the notice board, there's pictures of uh, pigs with wings oh, and there's... Oh, on on the test bed wiki, probably, yeah. Um, so I well, I gather administrators on the English Wikipedia, the uh, are are good, uh, <laughs> are esteemed administrators can now uh, have a look at it and can now sort of witness what it's like. And um, Derova, you use you're quite active on other wiki projects, are you? So wait, you're saying that my login would work on any other you know language wiki right now? Um, I think so. I'm not entirely sure. It's worth a try, though. I'm, I'm saying there's, there's definitely been an announcement, and uh, I, I'm not able to test it because I'm not an administrator, but uh, I'm also a bit thick at working out what's going on. But it's... Um, it's uh, I just tried my login to Indonesian Wikipedia, and it did not work, so... So it's obviously not quite in that manner. But the intention would be... Derova, you, you work a lot on commons, right? Uh, we may have lost her over just for a moment. But uh, that's a long-awaited and, and sort of uh, it should allow the wiki, you know, all the wiki efforts to be centralized or, your, you know, the, the ease of use should certainly be massively improved. It should simplify issues a great deal. And uh, I was talking to, um, uh, apparently, uh, talking to Tim uh, Starling at the Sydney meetup fairly recently, and he was saying that the issues of username clashes that you mentioned are actually a lot less serious than you might think. Um, there are there are lots where people have no, the same. No, just, just the people have common names like Mark or you know John. Yeah, but in most cases where they are, there's there's someone that the edit count test or the you know someone's uh, clearly had a had a much you know there's a lot of accounts that have only been used for sort of you know a, a handful of edits, and it seems that the the policy will kind of work out. If that's the case, then that username can be usurped and the, for the benefit of the single user that, that got there first, really. Right. The only, the only really bad conflict I can think of is Mark Ryan used user mark on the Wikipedia and Mark Bergsma used mark on the German Wikipedia. So apparently they have to have a fist fight. Many, many that's, years. that's the rule. <laughs> hmm? They have to have a fist fight to, to, to see who, who gets the name. <laughs> Well, so they're that, the only good. ones who have you know, many thousands of edits and have been here several years that I can think of who have the same name on two different wikis. It's going to be the main ring at Wikimania in, in Egypt. They're going, to, they're going to duke it out and we'll see who gets to be Mark. Now, of course, you could have a, a sideways tilt at that, that username, Raoul, but uh, you're happy with Raoul 6x4. Um, Mark Ryan, years ago, you know, 2003, 2004, he actually went to all the other Marks and, and asked if it was okay for him to change his username from Mark Ryan to Mark. <laughs> so, so he's, I'm gonna have to go by my word back then. <laughs> cool. Well, the other one—that's single user stuff. The other one is stable revisions, which um, is, is going to be a bit longer in coming. Um, uh, but it sort of relates, I guess. It's of particular interest to the featured sort of um, the featured article status and the featured article, the, the very best quality articles. Uh, well, but the thing about stable revisions is. Um, it's not well defined uh, the, the the specifics of it. I mean, I mean, in the most general sense, it's going to be that you have an unstable version of the page, which you have now, the one that you can edit the article, and then a stable version. And then it becomes a question of who determines what the stable version is, and and you know who how you get to it. And these are all issues that kind of have not been worked out. Well, and there's certainly, uh, I think it's on a foundation level. I think Eric. Um, did, uh, made a post there's a link to it from our from the wiki page over here but um you made a post saying that it's it's technically now ready to implement and i think from reading it the germans the german wikipedia is is quite keen to, to move quite quickly towards a version of it 
Well, not so much that the German wiki is keen to move to it, is that there was so much opposition on the English Wikipedia that they really couldn't start on English. They would kind of have to, you know, test, you know, debug it somewhere else. Which makes sense. I mean, that, that, it, that was the feel. That that was more or less how it evolved as I saw it. I guess, Phil, if you're around here, because this sort of links a little bit to, I know that you're, you, you work extensively or you've, you've edited extensively in pseudoscience, conspiracy theories, fringe beliefs, all that sort of stuff. Um, and obviously, who gets to decide what is stable and who gets to decide which revision is to a degree? I mean, I guess the, the theory would be that there'd be a revision of an article which would be shown... Um, to one of the ideas I heard was that a particular revision, which is marked as stable, is shown to all anonymous browsers, and that revision can't be uh, can't be edited directly. Uh, they can obviously make a new revision and they can edit any, all they like, but the, the the stable flag can only be moved by uh, a new level of user, which would be like a reviewer or a, a stable review decider. Um, and I think it's the procedure for determining. Uh, who those people are and who would get to set those flags, which is just um, completely up in the air over here at English. Um, I've, I've chatted to a few people about it, and there's a there's a sense of you know could never happen, just too much, uh, too much squabbling or too much dissent, too much arguing about who would get to do what. Um, so it seems a little way off. But what do you think of that as an idea, Phil? Uh, well, I, I'm part of a couple of groups uh, in the science area that are very very interested in something like this. And I think if the um, if the software was available, we'd work out a system or two. We'd test them, and we'd we'd uh, see what worked reasonably and try it. I, I think there are a lot of people very very anxious in the science area to actually be able to set a, a reasonably stable version. And how do you respond to the? How would you propose? Like, who should decide what's stable? Do you, I mean, could you? If you, I know I'm asking you off the top of your head, but what's your early thoughts well, on that? We have a lot of a lot of different ideas. Uh, if you go to Raymond Aritz's page, his what we call the expert withdrawal pages or discussion, there's a lot of different ideas on on what to do. But one one idea I I'm sort of keen on or wonder about is uh, an idea of a sort of a science guild, and the science guild might be anchored maybe with a few people who are willing to drop their anonymity. Uh, but have some advanced uh, education in science and have then maybe uh, invited other people into the guild. And we pretty much know who's, who, uh, who's got an advanced uh, background in science or mathematics or engineering from discussing with them. So we have a pretty good idea of who's sort of a, a mainstream science person and who isn't. And they'd be part of the guild. And if you had a majority of, oh, I don't know, five or ten people or something in a guild uh, interested in a certain page and they said this should be our stable version, I think that would be great. Uh, that would be a, a definitely create a certain filtering mechanism and it would anchor us to, um, to some sort of... Uh, isn't, it, isn't that a substantial shift in culture, though, where we'd, we'd be it's, really it's, sort of... Starting to we're, look at, we're driving ourselves crazy on this, in the pseudoscience and science areas and conspiracies. Uh, and really, people are extremely upset. And so it's either you get a lot of defections to, to citizendium or something, or, or we try in a sort of an experimental way, we try some experiments and see can we improve things a little bit to make it attractive for technically adept people to to stay and contribute at Wikipedia. We would like to attract them. There are a lot I, of I guess to me that that does represent, it's quite a big cultural shift to, towards... It is a big shift. Yeah, towards really sort of basically making credentials count so some voices would have more authority. Derova, if you're still well, around, what do you, you know, what do you think about all that stuff? Well, um, I do deal a lot in disputes. I can... Probably, probably guess a few of the places where the um, problems would come up, but I, I'd like to say what the benefits of this would be because I think we've talked a bit more about the uh, the hang-ups. Um, in a lot of articles, you just get this sort of drive-by vandalism, school vandalism, and so forth, and it would be a service to the vast majority of readers as well as a service to the vast majority of volunteers 
if, you know, the sort of um, Steve Loves Sue vandalism didn't go live to the average reader, they don't need to see it. Um, we'd rather just clean it up without the live version of the site being compromised. And on the 99% of articles, that would be an uncontroversial thing. There are a few areas where, yes, there will be disputes, um, pseudoscience versus science, ethnic disputes, national disputes, uh, religious disputes, the question of who gets that authority may be a very thorny one. Of course, that would just be an extension of the very deep divisions that those areas already have. So I'm not sure that that's really an argument against um, going forward with uh, stable versions. It's just something that would have to be worked out and that we'd keep our eyes open um, and expect as it as it goes live. So we're actually... Yeah, I would... okay. Go ahead, Phil. I would just argue for a try being, having a sort of an experimental frame of mind and to try some different ideas. Some might work, some might not work, and see which we, we thought were working well. For me, the thorniest question is how, we, how that new power, which it undoubtedly sort of is, the, the new role to, to be able to decide what is stable and what is not, how we, uh, who we decide to roll that out to and how we manage it you know, to make sure it's in the best interest of the, you know, the overall encyclopedia. I think the patently obvious solution is just to you know, add it to what the administrators can do. I mean, we already have that position in place. We already have all of the logistics set up. It just seems to me very obvious to you know, give it to the administrators. We already do that with full protection, semi-protection. I don't see why stable revisioning should be particularly different. I guess, Phil, it's you'd, just, you'd just, go ahead. Well, yeah, I would agree. It's it's not that different um, than uh, than some of the other things we already do. And what you could have is is uh, you could have an, uh, an administrator take take a poll or something or a straw poll or whatever on what should be the stable version and um, and not a straw poll, just do it or just do it. Yeah. Uh, depending on the area, there are some areas I will say when I've noticed some some administrators don't uh, don't have the background. In most cases, I would say administrators do a pretty good job. There have been a few occasions I've noticed where some administrators are a little out of their depth, and especially when it comes to something really technical, and they will sometimes come down in a in a way that's not really useful for the encyclopedia. I'm concerned that it's not that the, 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 the sort of, um, I think it's a bit of a mistake to think of administrators as all being, as really being a cohesive group. There's huge disparity, isn't there? There's huge um, variance in the, in the types of expertise and people and the types of experience and the, the ways that various administrators choose to interact with the encyclopedia. So I'm sort of in the less convinced camp that it would be a great thing just to, um, to add that as a new power. Um, but I, Raoul, one I, other thing, I, just to bring you back in, Raoul, is that there is, of course, a featured article status is an example of, of a uh, not a stable revision, but you you know the, the, it's a sort of a semi. It has the same kind of balancing effect that um, if it's got that label, then it's it has it's, to maintain it's, certain. It's standards. the same thing. It's the same thing in the sense that it's an identified known good revision, and it's the result of kind of a straw poll, kind of. Yeah. There's also, we'll move on from there now, but I, I'm intrigued that we're all sort of, I, I think we're all open to some of the good sides about it. Um, I know there's, there's, uh, there's ideas and attitudes out there along the lines of, you know, could never happen, no one will agree to it. Um, so I'm personally going to watch the, the German uh, developments with interest, and we'll see. Raoul, would you support it, like, in the, in the next sort of six months on English Wiki? Um. Uh, it depends on what it, what it actually the form it comes out looking like. I don't, I'm, I'm reserving judgment in that sense. Yeah. Uh, I argued vehemently that what we should do is, um, but see, see, when you go to Wikipedia, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting a wiki that you know may or may not be in a good state. I've argued that we should have something else like stable.wikipedia.org or stable.en.wikipedia.org that is specifically for stable versions. And that way, you know, you, you know from the address whether you're getting, you know, a stable version or whether you're getting the wiki. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's the spirit behind the Veripedia project, um, which 
you may have you heard of that one, Mark? Uh, Raul? Yeah, that's Dan. That's Danny's um, uh, copy versions from Wikipedia wiki. Yeah, and I think the idea, his idea there, is to take the best and to and to make it stable. Um, but they're they're all interesting ones, and I think there's there's going to be plenty of forums for uh, discussion on this one. The foundation have done their bit anyway. They've developed the software, and it seems to be it seems to be all done now and ready to go. So it's just over to uh, the community uh, to see what they want. I, I, be very careful there. I'm not. Sh- are they done developing it? Uh, I, I, I'd say that I'd say that the hurdles to I got the strong indication that the hurdles to implementation are community decisions, not technical developments. On that front. Well, experience in this subject shows don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I've been told it's, it's only months away, Raul, so we'll look for it in 2004. Well, it was, it was only six months. <laughs> a single-user login was only six months away in August of 2006. Exactly. <laughs> so we won't hold our breath, but we wait with interest. Uh, now, while we're talking about the foundation, Drover, you pop this onto the topics. We've got some good news. Wonderful news, in fact, that uh, might help with things like developer budgets and getting those uh, uh, improvements implemented faster. Um, Sue Gardner announced today on the Foundation mailing list that the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation had uh, given the Wikimedia Foundation a $3 million grant uh, in $1 million a year over three years. Which is fantastic. And you were saying well, there's no bad side to that. <laughs> you were, uh, now I'm, I wasn't familiar with the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Could you just tell us a little bit about it? Because I know you know a few things about it, Drova. Uh, yes, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation is a nonprofit uh, foundation that was uh, started in 1934 by Alfred P. Sloan, who was the chief executive officer of General Motors, and uh, it is one of the best-founded um, philanthropic organizations in the United States. I don't know how much it sponsors overseas or how well it's known in other countries. Um, it uh, tends to fund uh, research and things in science, technology, um, communications to some extent, where, where it relates to science and technology. And uh, its total assets are worth nearly $2 billion dollars. And it's given us three million of them for the next, well, one million dollars for a year for the next three years. Which certainly helps with operating costs, yes. And, uh, you know, we've, we, we spoke in the last few, uh, chit chats about the, you know, the allegations of impropriety and the, and the, the problems that there have, you know, the allegations and certainly the problems that the foundation has faced. It is nice that, that there's also, you know, there's some blue sky and there's some good news. Um, the, found, the foundation has, for a couple of years now, trying, been trying to establish, establish themselves, uh, you know, with financial stability, more in the area of institutional grants. You know, a lot of a lot of the, you know, you hear about the the, the small small you know donations, and that's what's keeping the foundation going. But you know, they're also trying to move to you know the area of you know these institutional grants. Like you know, this is a perfect example of one. Well, and broadly speaking, that represents, you know, coming up for a third of it's over that amount is um is a third the value of the the full donations from last year in in one hit. And when combined with the two half million dollars that Sue mentioned last week, um, you know, it's it's I think the foundation is successful in that strategy. It seems to be attracting them. Um, I have read. Well, I I, it certainly go ahead, Driver. Oh, well, I mean, when you step back and, I mean, we, we tend to, to miss the forest for the trees here, but um, here is this nonprofit organization that's out to spread knowledge. It's in 250 different languages. Um, in less than 10 years, it's gone from nowhere to being one of the most 10 most visited websites in the world. It's uh, the world's most popular reference website, it certainly ought to be getting this kind of uh, attention, this kind of donation. And it is, <laughs> which is, uh, <laughs> I have read some of the issues with, uh, I'm, I'm not up on the technical stuff, but the, the nature of the charitable status and the nature of public support, and I know Florence has, has said things in the past about, you know, she's expressed, well, she's expressed disquiet, Florence, the chairman of the board, over individual large donations from, sorry, large donations from individuals. 
Um, I'm sure that this is this is a different kettle of fish, really, because Alfred Sloan is um, so massively well established. Um, but it does mark again to talk. We were talking about culture shifts towards possibly towards credentials, and we're going to move on to the science stuff in a moment. But for me, this marks another sort of this movement towards institutional grants. Is it? It's sort of part of Wikipedia growing up. It's a sort of you know the next stage. It's kind of a it's kind of a mark that we've you know we've made it that you know we're big enough that we're attracting this kind of attention. Uh, you know, Wikipedia hasn't. It's not Wikipedia that's changed. Just that we've become more visible, and that has allowed us to kind of pull in these grants on the basis of of name recognition more than than any kind of. Any more than it's not an indicator that we've changed so much as that we've established ourselves. Yeah, we yeah, and indeed it makes it, it it makes the upcoming board elections, which we'll no doubt cover when there's some news, you know, because they're they're a few months away yet. But um, the the foundation is obviously uh, as it gets wealthier, it's going to have more ability to to do more of whatever it is it chooses to do, <laughs> and the the direction of the foundation. Um, is going to be, um, you know, very interesting to watch and to and to look at. Um, the relate because we're we're sitting here, you know, I'm mainly involved with the English Wikipedia, and I know that you guys are too. And there's also things like Commons, but um, the 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 growing relationship or the or how it evolves the relationship between the foundation, which you know will be the the wealthy foundation, hopefully, if more of this money comes in, and the the individual Wikipedias. That's um that's by no means set in stone either. So. I think these these dynamics are all going to have to evolve, um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to to watch. Uh, I'm going to move on there. Has anyone got anything else, Phil? If you, what, what's your take on this good news that we've suddenly got more money? I I do think it's a sign that that uh, the finally uh, the the world is starting to wake up to the fact that we've arrived and we're here and um, we're actually a kind of a major cultural force, not just. Uh, in our own country in the United States but around the world and going to continue to be so uh, in fact you're not a major cultural force in become bird that's right and well we're, we're definitely getting there uh, <laughs> you know I, I oftentimes meet people who are very discouraged they think it's failing and so on and I will ad- admit that probably uh, what I say is I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but 99 times out of 100, if I look at an article, I just cringe. I go, oh, this is awful. However, uh, it's not all bad news because if you look at just about any FA a featured article or, or uh, average article and look at it two years ago or even look at what the standard of an FA was two or three years back uh, when they were fairly new, you can see – that we actually are definitely making a serious amount of progress. So as as bad as many of our articles are, we are actually improving quite drastically. And uh, that's noticeable. You, and our history is right there. You can go and check it and see. And it's actually quite startling to actually see how, uh, in general, most articles actually are a lot better than they were a year ago, two years ago, and so on. Um, so that that brings is, us quite it's nicely. Better than it was. <laughs> that brings us quite nicely to the the area that you said you were most interested in, Phil. You're, you're active in the sciences and uh, and that world, and and you brought up the issue of how we deal with uh, you know either fringe views or alternative views, and what what is the what's the beef there as you see it? Well, we we have, and I'm, I don't happen to be as much of an expert as some, uh, like say science apologist who's really dedicated himself in this direction, but. I have a little bit uh, been involved in this in the uh, evolutionary area and some uh, associated fringe beliefs and now more recently in alternative medicine and fringe beliefs associated with that in medicine and uh, a little bit in the conspiracy theory area. The the problem is, as I see it, we, we have a Don't fair – global warming. Global warming is another one I did get probably, involved with a little bit. Probably uh, one of the, the more – What's the word I'm looking for here? Contentious areas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What I what now I do have a a pretty strong technical background, but what I do to avoid driving myself crazy is I on purpose work in areas, technical areas, even though I have a background in science and mathematics. I work in areas in which I have no expertise. So, so uh, there are contentious areas in which I have expertise, 
um, but I, I try to stay away from those. Uh, people that I know, for example, I have a couple of friends that are doctors, and they try to edit the medicine articles, and it just drives them crazy because you get assorted a, a fringe types. And well, for, for the record, for the record, I, I don't think we should paint them all with such a wide brush. Some I, I forget who, but it was there's some group did a study. They took the hundred or hundred and twenty most common procedures. Uh, done in the U.S., looked them up on Wikipedia, and more or less, you know, assessed the quality of the articles. And they found, first of all, almost all of them had articles, which was shocking in and of itself, and that the quality was pretty good. For, you know, so so we're not as bad as article, you might think. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's How? so 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 you, you, you what you're tending to do, and and this is of course natural, is that you're you're generalizing based on a few very contentious articles, whereas right. the majority are actually you know pretty good. It's just a few yes. – like home, homeopathy or homeopathy is really kind of a of it's, a nasty one. But it's, it's you know, for every article like that, there's area. 20 more that – So right. with homeopathy, Phil, I, I, I've, I've had a brief look, and I gather that you've, you've been there. That's a, I'm deeply is, embedded in the homeopathy. Now, I'm no expert in homeopathy. I just, I just went in there to try and help out a little bit, and so I'm quite deeply embedded in that entire controversy, yes. And does it to look at that article? Does that encapsulate or kind of that represents the, the issues as you see them, like across the board? Yes, that, that's I see similar things going on uh, with evolution and creationism and intelligent design. I see similar things going on in um, in the conspiracy theory area. I, I do see similar things going on in the global warming area. So when you, you say have, what what goes on, Phil? What's the what happens? You have a dedicated group from with a sort of non-mainstream views that that come in, and sometimes a fairly large group, and they uh, they would like to rewrite the definition of what a reliable source is, or what NPOV is, or or what uh, they would like to ignore uh, the, the strictures against no original research. They. They really want the – they have an agenda, and they want to use a, uh, Wikipedia as a platform to, to push this agenda on the world. In fact, uh, one that looks like it will get a little contentious here, uh, just as an example, a simple one, sunscreen. So if you look back in October, we had a pretty stable, balanced article that said there's, there's some good features in sunscreen, some bad features. And then, starting with a few anonymous accounts, and now with a few others, we've had a fairly large body of people who've come in to change the article completely in the last few months, where the sunscreen article now says, never use any sunscreen, all sunscreen causes cancer, and the sunscreen companies are all evil and horrible and out to kill you. <laughs> That's what the sunscreen article says now, and we're trying to debate in on the fringe notice board what do we actually do to clean this up. We went from a fairly nice balanced article in a few months to sort of a disaster, and it's not written with very good English anymore as well. So, so that's I mean you're exaggerating, are you? Because if if, if I'm sl exaggerating slightly, but you can take a look for yourself and judge for yourself. He's probably not. That's actually that, that that seems to be the cycle with a good number of articles to go just like that. Yeah, yeah if, if you don't have someone really maintaining it, someone can come in if there aren't a lot of people watching it carefully, and they they can erode it fairly quickly if somebody's not really. Like so to, to, have a, to take this case in point, which actually is quite interesting, it says we've got the first sentence. which says sunscreen is a lotion, spray, or topical product that is supposed to protect the skin from the sun's ultraviolet radiation. And uh, I guess right off the bat, that sort of that seems Supposed to me to protect it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. And then yeah, yeah. third sentence is, however, the effect of sunscreen use on the incidences of uh, malignant melanoma, which is caused by indirect DNA damage, is still under dispute. Um, so I yes, I, I take your point, Phil. That's certainly um, if I were to before having looked at the sunscreen article, if someone were to say what sh what sort of things should it say, I, you know, it would say you'd expect it to be. From a neutral point of view, and um, and to sort of lay out all the facts as they as they're mentioned in reliable sources. Um, right, right. And it is, is, is this something that more eyes on art, on certain articles can fix, or is, do you do you think we need to sort of do we need some more new rules? Of the wrong kind of eyes, not the wrong kind of eyes. Yes, if you get more of the wrong kind of eyes, uh, there's going to be trouble. 
Uh, in fact, that's what happened to us in homeopathy. We It was stable but awful back, say, last June, June of 2007. Then I and Wiki Dude Man and a few other people, we wrote, rewrote it. So by September, October, we thought it was pretty good, and we let it go through to, to a good article, GA. And once it, it got to a GA status, somebody must have posted it someplace on homeopathy boards or something. We got a huge flood of new eyes from the outside, new users. Uh, I, it's hard to know what's who's a sock puppet and who's a meat puppet and who they all, how many independent new eye, sets of eyes we've got. But I would say somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen new sets of eyes. That's for the record. That's when check user comes in great handy or yes. having somebody who can do it for you. Right. Yes. So we, we've had a huge influx of new people from the outside who are who do not want to present the view that the uh, that you know the homeopathy is a fringe activity. They don't want to believe it's fringe. They want to say it's mainstream. They want to say all regular medicine is evil. Um, they 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 don't want any mention that it's controversial. Bob, why don't you define what it is for the people who are listening oh, okay, and don't know? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good thing because, in the, especially in the United States, most people aren't going to know what it is because it, it is so much of a fringe activity. Yeah, what homeopathy is? It's based on on an idea of a man named Samuel Hahnemann, who was a, a German physician about 200 years ago, and it, it's basically has two or three main ideas, um, and I, I'm I'm going to just uh, make it very very simple, but it's there's a lot more to this. Um, one of the things that's very controversial about it is it, it relies on diluting the active ingredient down so much that when you when you take a medication, a homeopathic medication, it may not have a single molecule left of the active ingredient. And in fact, even if you had a had a, a dose of uh, of the medicine that was as big as the planet Earth, it might still not have a single molecule of the active ingredient in it because it's diluted so much. So it's extremely diluted. For the record, this is this is an in-joke between doctors. They refer to a placebo as, uh, you know, homeopathic uh, levels of, of medicine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> because, you know, because it all gets all of its benefit just from, you know, the placebo effect that you think you should feel better. Yeah, that, that seems to be, for these highly diluted, there are less diluted versions of homeopathic medicines, but for the highly diluted versions, yes, like, for example, uh, oh, I can't pronounce it, but that French flu, ma flu thing, oscillinium that we can get in the drugstores here. It's the most uh, heavily selling flu medication in France, and we can buy it here in the United States now. It is diluted to, let's see, um, at, at the potency is 200 C means that uh, it's diluted by a factor of 10 to the 4,000. <laughs> so it's really, really, really diluted. Um, so there's there's very, very little chance that you're, you're going to get, uh, and it's a ground-up um, duck liver uh, or duck lungs or whatever, and so there's very little chance that if you get take uh, a few milliliters of of this uh, medication, you're actually going to get any of the active ingredient, which is a duck liver or something. Um, that's one thing that's controversial about it. Another thing that's controversial about it is it relies on something called the law of similars. So what, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, to take a look at, at some kind of a substance, could be a plant or an animal substance or a mineral substance, a chemical substance, that causes the same symptoms in a healthy individual as the symptoms of the sick, per sick person is experiencing. So, say, fever or sweating or whatever, you find something uh, from the, the homeopathic uh, list of medications, uh, the pharmacopoeia, that causes those symptoms, and then you give them not the dose that would cause those symptoms, but an extremely dilute version of that extremely dilute and most of especially in the extremely dilute cases um, most of the action probably is due to placebo uh, there are less dilute versions which which you can get for example Zycam is something we can buy here in the United States that that one's actually 
uh, not particularly dilute. And in fact, uh, some people lost their sense of smell from taking it because it wasn't very dilute. And then they sued them and they got a big chunk of money from the company that produces Zycam. So, uh, is there a, is there a problem? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you know, you're going very deeply into the specific, uh, homeopathic, um, sort of, uh, the, the nature of homeopathy, but is there a problem with the, the, the difference, or is there a difference, in fact, between what you might call neutral points of view and scientific points of view? Yeah, they, Uh-oh. Do you really want to ask that? This has been compare. argued about endlessly. The only reason I say, I mean, I guess this is top of my head stuff, and I'm probably uh, diving feet first into a huge fire, but... Um, I've, I've recently reread my well-thumbed copy of Richard Dawkins' God Delusion, um, which is a, no matter what your beliefs are, actually, from the devout to the secular to the whatever, it's well worth a read no matter what. Uh, but he goes in, he uh, outlines in some detail uh, what is a very valid scientific hypothesis for the, the ludicrous nature of belief in the existence of God, for instance. And, um, and that, to me, is, is again, you've got a, this, this tension that emerges between a scientific point of view and a neutral point of view. And, and Phil, that has been discussed ad nauseam, has it? It has, although uh, there are, at this point now, uh, most of the people that, that bring that up are people like, um, well, I don't even know if I should mention his name, but there, there are a couple of people who are proponents of rewriting N, NPOV, the neutral point of view, completely. And they use this argument that... Uh, as big, bad, mean science people want to define uh, natural, neutral point of view as the scientific point of view, the SPOV, and they use that as a straw man to attack us. Uh, I think most of us realize that it, if we want to be encyclopedic, it's good for us to discuss these fringe topics, but to have a good, healthy uh, helping of the mainstream or scientific point of view in these cases. Uh, for example, if you go to Encyclopedia Britannica and look up homeopathy or World Book or Funk and Wagnalls, they'll have a, a good third of the article will be a, the scientific fact, point of view. In fact, I do believe the ARBCOM more or less, the, the, one of the ARBCOM decisions I authored more or less said that. Um, that was the one about, um, give me a second here. It was, it was, um, it was related to climate change, wasn't it, or was it? I don't know. There have been two or three of them. There's another one in front of ARBCOM right now having to do with the 9-11 conspiracies, uh, and they're hoping to revisit it. The part of the problem that I have seen, and in fact there's going to be something coming out in Wikipedia Weekly fairly soon, a debate between Martin Fy and science uh, apologists who are kind of on opposite sides of this issue, um, what I've experienced is, in spite of the fact that ARBCOM has, has uh, had several decisions on this, what we end up with is uh, the proponents of, of the paranormal or pseudoscience or fringe areas will read those things. The hermeneutics of reading and interpreting what ARBCOM says is a lot of times will be kind of open to interpretation. So they'll read it and they'll say, ah, see? Arbcom thinks that uh, that we should we don't need science in these fringe areas or what have you. That they'll read them in a very selective way, and then we end up spending uh, many many kilobytes of space arguing with them about what Arbcom really meant in their decisions, and they <laughs> deny that Arbcom meant what I, we think. They I had it here. Um, this it was in the uh, the pseudoscience proposed decision, uh, November two thousand six. Okay. Uh, appropriate sources. Wikipedia verifiability and reliable sources require that information included in an article have been published in a reliable source which is identified and potentially available to the reader. What constitutes a reliable source varies with the topic of the article, but in the case of a scientific theory, there is a clear expectation that the source for the theory itself are reputable textbooks or peer-reviewed journals. Scientific theories promulgated outside these media are not properly verifiable as scientific theories and should not be represented as such. Well, I'll give you an example of where that runs into trouble, or one of the ways that runs into trouble. There are lots of ways that runs into trouble. But, for example, let's consider the electronic voice phenomena. That means the static on your radio is actually ghosts talking to you from beyond from the grave. 
Okay, so that hasn't been investigated very much by scientists, obviously, because it's so, you know, some of these ideas are so crazy, it's not like somebody's going to get a grant and study it and publish something. You <laughs> no, know, no, 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 that's bias on the part of mainstream science. <laughs> right, exactly. Now you're hitting on it, you see? So what they say is, well, uh, therefore, we don't need to have mainstream science hasn't hasn't published on this, and therefore our... Uh, vanity website or, or vanity uh, pamphlet that some guy published in his basement or something on a, a Xerox machine in the library or whatever. This is our reliable source, and uh, I will uh, promulgate this as as actual fact that, that the ghosts are talking to me out of the static in my radio. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's not very encyclopedic, and. You know, we, we run into all kinds of problems. Um, so do you, to move this forward now then, the conversation, Phil, do you think, um, like, the more people who become more aware of, of, you know, what is the, what are the site, what are Wikipedia's policies on sourcing and, and all these things, and the more people with the most amount of, you know, experience and, I guess, what you might be called clue, um, coming to articles like this, uh, the better, that would obviously te- move things towards stability. But in the short term, do, are you, do you think we need new rules? Do you think we need you know, stronger policies or, or any suggestions? Uh, we might want to, I mean, again, this is something we've been discussing at Raymond Ritz Expert Withdrawal Pages, where we're trying to come up with other ideas on I, how to address should, this. I should point out the background for the Expert Withdrawal Page, which sort of goes to the heart of this, was that a lot of the people who do this kind of stuff are kind of reached – or get fed up reaching the breaking point. And the idea of the expert withdrawal page was that, you know, we're just going to, you know, stop defending we'll them against away. these kind of people and let them go to pot. That, that was the original idea. I have tried to bend that a little bit towards saying, well, rather than just um, on purpose have a sort of a strike and, and let these articles um, get destroyed as a signal to the community that we're disgusted, why don't we... That's great to get the community's attention, but why don't we have some constructive ideas, uh, like what Private Musings is suggesting? Let's let's try to see if we can think of some constructive ideas to try to make things better, like better training in the rules, better rules, modifications of the rules, um, maybe uh, some kind of a content. Arbcom is one idea people have come up with. Ex- uh, external review. Uh, uh, you know, people have all if kinds of ideas. Um, actually, um, one of the things that I guess expert rebellion was uh, related to expert withdrawal. One of the mo- more positive things that's come out of that, I co-authored the um, disruptive editing guideline, which kind of sets out uh, when an editor on, on any range of issues, not just uh, things related to the specific topics <laughs> I'm speaking of, um, when it's uh, an appropriate time for the um, communities to step forward with sanctions without necessarily opening an arbitration case, which sometimes runs on a couple of months. Yeah, disruptive <laughs> editing or tendentious editing, that can help, but it still doesn't quite do the whole trick. For the record, in this in this area, we've come miles and miles and miles from where we used to be. Um, did any of you happen to notice that Lear came back in the last couple of weeks? Came back and left again. Who do you mean exactly? Um, okay, Lear, L-I-R, user Lear, um, was a troublemaker for a long, long, long time. I mean, he, he you can personally, th- he is personally responsible in many ways for getting the arbitration committee going, for oh, the check user going. I mean, you could, all of the things that we have against problem, you know, makers can sort of trace their origins to him. Um... And so he, came, <laughs> so he came back recently. His one-year ban, which he extended to about three years because of 30 instances of sock puppeting, um, he, it expired. And he came back very recently, in the last month, six weeks. And he got himself – and I had sort of predicted this ahead of time um, – Would that he, he would encounter what's called future shock. The, the, it goes back to a book in the 70s, you know, the idea of yes. things changing so fast that you can't keep up. And that, you know, after coming back from being away from Wikipedia for three years, he would kind of be hit by a horrible case of future shock that how things had changed since he had left. And and how we deal with problem users being the most, 
you know, the most obvious example of it is that the arbitration committee, you know, it used to be that you couldn't get rid of a single problem user with an ARCOM case. You know, there was no such thing as a community ban, no such thing as a user or an administrator acting his own volition to ban a user. He would have to go all the way through this, this Byzantine dispute resolution process, and that has since changed, and he really found out, you know, firsthand that, that you know, he... He was demanding that the arbitration committee rehear his case, even though there was absolutely no evidence that he would be beneficial at all. And as such, um, he, he ended up finding out firsthand what a community ban is. And so, so in the area of tenacious editing, we've really come a great, you know, uh, we've come very far since where we used to be. That that problem handled in many ways by the community, and the more contentious issues now go to the ARBCOM, whereas it used to be the ARBCOM got all the problem editing and didn't really have time to sort out the more the larger issue that they were stuck, you know, sorting out the trees and couldn't really hit the forest. Well, yeah, yeah, that feeds into my my point, which I've been trying to make it at the expert withdrawal pages. If you go back a few years ago, we we did things differently than we do now. But there's, there's no, we probably still aren't doing things optimally. So there's nothing wrong with, with uh, keeping our eyes open and trying to see can we, can we continue to improve things because there still are, in some of these areas, there still are problems. And so that oh, is what I'm trying good. to do is, is get us to think of better ways to do things. Very much. Actually, as far as, um, I guess we thought, would it be fair to, characterize um, Raul and Phil as, as both rather pro-science rather than the opposite. Um, I like to think of myself as neutral. I do a lot of work in dispute resolution, and one solution that I often propose is that there are, s there are situations and uh, subjects where the, um, I guess what you'd say, the midline of where the science is is at a different point from where the midline of the popular perception is. Um, and, you know, 1,000 scientists already all agreeing with each other doesn't necessarily change what the Gallup poll is going to say. And so I, my uh, suggestion with that has just been to treat the popular perception and the scientific consensus as two different neutralities, um, sort of two separate things. Uh, the science, whatever it is, isn't going to be affected one bit by the Gallup poll of what the man on the street thinks. But, um, you know, the two don't necessarily line up. And uh, with something like, for instance, homeopathy, where the science very clearly lines up on one side, but yet it does have a popular following. Um, it's got a fringe following. It doesn't have a popular following. That's the well, thing. Okay. It, it, you're it you're it not dealing with a... something that a lot of people believe in. You're dealing with some oh, that's... you very dedicated adherents believe in. Yeah, yeah. Their, the, the, their point, the point of the world market yeah, for, for pharmaceuticals, the homeopathic fraction of the world market for pharmaceuticals is 0.3%. Which is fair to present. And they're much less than 0.1% of the number of physicians in the United States. But I think the, the, the point stands, it's interesting, the point stands that you do, you know, that it is possible for there to be uh, exactly as Darova says, uh, you know, a thousand scientists who all agree and for public opinion to, to disagree with that. That that situation exists conceptually. And, and I guess that what does global exist warming, in many at, areas, least in, yes. at least in the United States, global warming might be a fair example of that, where at, at least a substantial uh, percentage of, of the popular opinion um, doubts it whereas nearly all scientists uh, agree there. I think when you're going um, for a general readership, um, articulating that that difference exists and showing where it is and not trying to mix up the two, I think that somewhat helps. Uh, and I think, guys, I'll tell you what, I think we could probably, um, we'll try and, I look forward to hearing that, that Wikipedia Weekly debate because um, no doubt it's got much of interest, but this is... Um, this is uh, an area that we could probably talk about for a lot longer. Uh, yeah, I think it's a we're, huge we're, area. It's a huge <laughs> area, and we'll, you know, we could return to certain aspects of it. Um, you know, next time, the time after, and particularly be interesting to hear other other people's perspectives and uh, on that. Um, I think we're gonna we're we're drawing a we're coming to the end of our our time, so to speak. We're gonna have to draw a line under it. But um, uh, thanks to to Raoul, Rover and Phil for coming. 
Um, we've, we had a topic that is the perennial bumper, which is the discussion of threats of violence on Wikipedia, which we may schedule for next time and then bump again or not. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, all are most welcome to these conversations, um, these Skype casts. Um, so do consider getting yourself a headset and microphone and plugging in and, and tuning in or, or dropping in rather, coming by. Um, any final thoughts, Phil? Uh, well, I'm glad we got to it, and I, I'd like uh, people to at least be aware of the f- of the fact that we we are having some discussions and some difficulties in these fringe areas, and I'm not sure we're doing the best job we can. So it's good to be open-minded to the fact that maybe we can do better. And, and keep your uh, <laughs> eyes open for that Wikipedia Weekly uh, debate, which uh, yeah. hopefully will appear. My final thought is that I'm going to go and edit sunscreen straight after weekly. this. Uh, no, it's, sorry, my mistake, signpost, pardon me, you're right, it's in the signpost, going to be in the signpost, when it's edited down. And Derova, any final thoughts from you? Oh, I'm just so pleased for the foundation, I'd love to leave on the thought of um, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, one of the most prestigious uh, funding organizations, um, thinking of us. And that's, yeah, a million dollars a year for the next three years. And uh, Raoul, any final thoughts from, from your good self? I hope they put that money to use to hire some developers and maybe fix some of, uh, some of the outstanding MediaWiki-related requests. I mean, I will, well, I we, may, again, we I may bump that up. Now that we know they've I got money, kill, we're going to... I would kill to have some of my feature requests filled, specifically <laughs> as related to check user. Well, we'll, we'll, we can lobby hard for that from now on. Now that the, the, the story's out there, they've got the money. Okay, folks, thanks very much. I'm going to see you next time, possibly, um, and ta-da.